0: You are listening to Perplexity. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Perplexity, a mystery podcast. As always, I am your host, Kadra, and I'm so excited to be on here again, bringing you guys a perplexing tale. If you're new here, I get on every week and share a story with you all that perplexed me. So, if you love a good mystery that leaves you wanting more, please be sure to hit that subscribe button and the notification button if you are watching on YouTube, or if you are listening on a podcast, add this show to your list, and don't forget to leave a five star review if you enjoy. I thought with the heavy episode with the Salem Witch Trials that I covered last week, and then just all of the kind of spooky heavy stories I covered for October, it would be fun to bring in the holiday spirit as Thanksgiving is tomorrow and bring you a more lighthearted story today. So today we are going to be talking about a really funny little guy, or I guess I shouldn't say little guy, he's a big guy, <laughs> that I stumbled across on the internet. Um, this is a Thanksgiving cryptid, and I really don't know what to make of this, because this story I just think is so silly, but this is the Gobblesquatch, and uh, turns out we don't just have Sasquatch, we have this guy, a gigantic turkey. There you go. So we will be talking all about the gobble squatch today. Just a quick trigger warning, though, I do enjoy my fair share of cursing, and this podcast is not for children. So this is a funner episode, but listener discretion is still advised. And of course, the sources that were used for today's episode will all be available in the show notes. around the table to spend time with our family and say what we're thankful for, eat some good food. And the traditional American Thanksgiving cannot be complete without that main protein, the turkey. But did you know that there is a Thanksgiving cryptid known as Gobble Squatch that appears every Thanksgiving to avenge his fallen brethren? That's right, a gigantic, bloodthirsty turkey. So grab your turkey basters and loosen your belts because it is time to hear all about the gobble squatch. Now I'm going to preface this by saying out of all of the cryptid stories that I've heard, this one is one of the really weird ones that has very little evidence, if any at all. (laughs) but I still think it's a really fun and interesting story and who knows I could be wrong cryptids are really good about hiding themselves the lore around this Thanksgiving cryptid actually goes back to tribes of Native Americans they had to endure many mysterious and powerful creatures and beings from skinwalkers to the Wendigo and there was this professor named Wesley Wimscott from an unnamed university that had been studying Native American traditions when he started to look at the cultural practices of Native Americans, specifically the Native Americans that were living in Virginia along the Catawba River. The word Catawba translates to feather as long as a tree, but skeptics will tell you that it's actually referring to a group of people originally inhabiting this river in North and South Carolina, now located in Western South Carolina, or that it could even be referring to a reddish grape developed from the fox grape so professor Wimscott also discovered a legend about the first chief in this area a man named Powhatan and I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong doing my best here legend goes that Powhatan went into the forest where he remained for 15 days He went there to hear God's suggestions about how to end a terrible drought that the tribe was enduring. But on the 15th day, he saw something so frightening that he sprinted out of the forest. And this thing seemed to be chasing him. When he was almost back to the village, a giant cracking noise was heard, and a limb from the treetops suddenly fell, landing on the chief and killing him instantly no one could ever figure out what had frightened the chief so severely and this is known as the legend of kayake or giant dropping of death so professor wimscott was very perplexed by this legend and he began to basically look for clues as to anything that could point him in the right direction to the suspect you know what scared this man so badly and what could have killed him this is when Wim Scott theorized that the Native Americans' ceremonial attire could have pointed to what they were trying to either scare away from the village, intimidate, or make peace with since it had already been harming members of their tribe. They would wear gourds around their necks and paint them brown, and they would be tied on with deer sinew. And it's said that these gourds resembled giant wattles. And if you don't know what a wattle is, it's the big part of the turkey's neck, like the reddish pink flap of skin. So maybe they were dressing up like a turkey. Wimscott also believed the custom of celebrating Thanksgiving day with a turkey originated from the Native American tradition of hunting all the turkeys they could find in one day. To decrease the chance of gobble squatches forming so in 2009 he wrote a paper entitled gobble squatch giant drumsticks or dumb sticks iconic and this paper was then submitted to the international symposium on paranormal history sightings stories and wonders now this is where it gets really weird it is said that professor Wimscott disappeared in the Blue Ridge Mountains while he was searching for the gobble squash and this was in 2010 so not too long ago his last diary entry was found which read quote found a nest measured 14 by 12 and a half feet will infiltrate as an egg so when I read this I was like what in the Scooby-Doo is going on here He's gonna dress up as an egg and try to sneak up on this gobble squatch. so it's said investigators went to his campsite and found half inch thick white styrofoam and geoengineers ran tests on this calculating this styrofoam wouldn't be able to withstand more than 53 pounds of pressure so you know like if this is what he used as his little egg costume and a giant ass bird sat on top of him, he would have been squished to death. (laughs) So maybe his plan was foiled. but like the best mystery stories, this one ends with, and he was never seen again. So my other big question was if there were any other writings or reports that could possibly point to the existence of this gobble-squatch. And turns out I found a couple of things. So let me know what you think. In 1672, it's said a young man residing in the Blue Ridge Mountains, where the professor disappeared, named Ezekiel Fitzgerald, was hanged for heresy. He was charged after he claimed he saw a huge turkey with a wingspan of, quote, greater than the throne of the Almighty. Surviving judicial records noted he, quote, hath overwrought heresy and proclamation most dire to wit that his eyes laid upon a creature of a wingspan greater than the throne of the Almighty. So maybe I'm just stupid, but from what I gathered here, he saw a big-ass bird and it scared him and was like, wow, that thing is bigger than God. And someone was like, blasphemy, hang him. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there. But seems to be relevant to the Gobblesquatch, and it's in the same area. Another legend comes from 1750 when Thomas Jefferson was supposedly sent home from school for continuously saying the word gobbledygook, which I thought was interesting because then I started going down this rabbit hole of like where the word gobbledygook came from. And from what I found, the word gobbledygook was actually originated in the 1940s, but this would say otherwise which I think makes more sense because gobbledygook sounds like a really old word, not something that came out in the 20th century. Anyway, Thomas Jefferson was sent home from school for saying this word over and over again, which I'm sorry, it's a fun word to say. Gobbledygook, gobbledygook, gobbledygook. It's a good one, just rolls off the tongue. It's not like he was saying the F-bomb over and over, but apparently his teacher did not like this. And according to some historians, gobbledygook was a word local to Virginia that referred to anyone who doubted the existence of the gobble squatch. Another source that I read said he was sent home with a note that read in part, quote, continuous usage of non-existent words such as gobbledygook and interracial dot 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 end quote. It just stops there. But I think we can imply what that last part meant. Classic Jefferson. And it's even said later in life that Thomas Jefferson went on an expedition to study plants, animal life, and geography, commissioning a team led by Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. And that part of this adventure was to hunt down the gobblesquatch, which led them all the way to the Pacific Ocean talk about gobbledygook. There was also a man who was a foreman named Sid Sawyer and he worked for the Virginia Lumber Company. He reported his men were very frightened once after they heard constant thundering of giant beating wings and they continued to come across humongous white mounds of shit beneath the trees (laughs) and apparently The foreman and his men were so scared that this resulted in the company abandoning their plans to clear-cut Mount Mitchell. It's even said that the famous Wright brothers developed their first plane in 1903 after they spent three months in the Blue Ridge Mountains in 1901 to study birds in flight. You know they're looking for some inspiration. So the prototype supposedly had an unnaturally large wingspan once they built it, and it had gourds draped over the fuselage. The Wright brothers called the plane the Warbler. But alas, the Warbler never took flight. And fun fact, turkeys are actually great flyers. So if the Wright brothers built this based off of a turkey or the gobble squatch seemed their dimensions weren't quite right. In 1927, a European historian named Dillard or Dullard Dinsmore, an unfortunate name indeed, published How Nations Are Named, where he presented a theory that Mustafa Pashi was actually a very nomadic Cherokee who founded and named the nation of Turkey after their long time in North America. Perhaps he came across the gobble squatch. And this one I just thought was hilarious. In May of 1967, a Virginia hippie commune swore off marijuana, gasp, and became exclusively green tea drinkers after they claimed, quote, that stuff was making us see huge turkeys that pecked holes in our VW camper and swallowed our sleeping bags whole. Pretty interesting though that this happened again in Virginia, where it's said the gobble squash originated. And finally, in a previously censored transcript from the space shuttle's 2008 mission, a Virginia native and NASA astronaut named Leland Melvin was heard marveling from space saying, gsum don't know about that look at the great lake from up here looks like a giant claw print from gobble and it's heading west so you know this could just be a fun virginia legend and that's why he was talking about it but i thought that was interesting too so where is the gobblesquatch now some people theorize that the gobblesquatch has actually relocated to be more northwest due to the denser hiding spots there and the rainforests, and it may have even joined forces with none other than sasquatch so that is the gobble squatch but before we wrap up this episode I thought it would also be fun to include the history of the turkey pardoning so this is kind of a two-parter we're just gonna talk all about turkeys today so the history of this strange American custom dates all the way back to 1873 and turkeys were being donated at this time to the president as a gift Horace Vos, a turkey farmer from Rhode Island, did this for the president each year until he died in 1913. So Vos seems to be the OG of this tradition, but back then it was bringing a turkey to the president to eat, so kind of the opposite. Then there was this farmer from Kentucky named South Trimble. Again, what a name. And Trimble took over this practice, giving a turkey to President Wilson. Soon after this, there was basically this free-for-all where no one else was kind of in charge of giving these turkeys to the president anymore. So I'm sure a bunch of them saw a business opportunity. A lot of farmers began to kind of fight over who was going to start giving these turkeys to the president. They wanted to gain notoriety and take over the custom. You know, just white people fighting over stupid stuff. Same shit, different day. When Coolidge became president, he actually briefly stopped the tradition, and he bought his own turkey. But he was soon bombarded with a lot of strange animals that people were bringing to him, including raccoons. When Coolidge refused to eat this raccoon, it became the White House's pet. It would be the year 1947 when the presentation of the turkey would become official. So, in an effort to conserve grain for foreign aid campaigns, President Truman began began to promote meatless Tuesdays and poultryless Thursdays in autumn of 1947. So i'm sure that went really well in america everyone knows we love our meat people obviously weren't happy and the national poultry and egg board became very vocal about this so basically to make a long story short a truce was called sort of but eggless thursdays continued to be promoted for the rest of the year and this meant that pumpkin pie Another beloved Thanksgiving staple was still on the Forbidden Foods list. Meanwhile, records prove that Truman continued to enjoy his Thanksgiving feasts as he pleased, complete with a turkey. Finally, Ronald Reagan became the first president on record issuing an actual pardon of a turkey, sending turkeys presented to him to farms and zoos instead. At the time, Reagan was actually facing a lot of questions over the Iran-Contra affair. So it seems that the turkey pardon served as a humorous distraction. In 1989, the turkey pardon became a permanent part of the White House tradition under the leadership of George H.W. Bush. This is still a fairly new tradition. And you may be wondering, what happens after the turkeys get pardoned? Like it seems like they just go somewhere but you know what happens to them well for many years the turkeys were sent to frying pan farm park don't love the name for that one and this was in fairfax county virginia then for a while they were sent to disneyland resort in california and walt disney world resort in florida what a place for a turkey From 2010 to 2012, pardoned turkeys were sent to live at Mount Vernon, but Vernon stopped accepting the turkeys after a while, stating this violated the estate's policy of maintaining historical accuracy because Washington never farmed turkeys okay i mean talk about getting your feathers ruffled the turkeys have gone to several other places but as of late the pardoned 2022 turkeys were sent to live at north carolina state university so for some not so fun history just for a minute the turkeys were raised the same way as those designated for slaughter being fed a grain-heavy diet of fortified corn and soybeans to increase the bird's size Then, once a group of turkeys is large enough, they are forced to become acclimated to loud noises, flash photography, and large crowds, because you know they have to be ready for this turkey pardon. So they have this whole group of bird finalists, if you will, kind of like a pageant, and then they're eventually narrowed down to two finalists for the turkey pardon. The White House staff then names the turkeys based on suggestions from school children, and the turkeys are transported to Washington. When they're in Washington, they stay at the Willard Intercontinental Washington Hotel at National Turkey Federation expense before being officially pardoned at the White House ceremony. So for many years, the pardoned turkeys were documented to have very short lifespans after their pardoning because they would frequently die within just one year of being pardoned but this has steadily improved in recent years, an improvement that's been attributed to placing the turkeys in the care of experts. So if you want some fun reading, look up the history of the turkey pardon on Wikipedia, because you can read the names of all of the turkeys but some honorable mentions are cobbler and gobbler, popcorn and caramel, marshmallow and yam, robust and juicy, and jerry. And that, everybody, is the perplexing tale of the Thanksgiving cryptid, the gobble-squatch, and the interesting history of... America's turkey pardon. And in all seriousness, I just wanna say how thankful I am for all of my beautiful viewers and listeners and your loyal hearts, open minds. I could not keep doing this without all of you. So thank you. this legend. A lot of people think Bigfoot could be real, so I'm curious if any of you think anything about this gigantic turkey. And if anyone's listening from Virginia, let me know if you have any more insight about this. Let me know your thoughts and questions in the comments down below if you're watching on YouTube, or if you're listening on the podcast, let me know in those Q&As on Spotify or send me a DM on Instagram at Perplexity Mystery Podcast. And remember, I'm always looking for topic requests and listen stories. So if you have a story to share, you can always email me at perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com or shoot me a DM on Insta. Please continue to share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It helps so much and you all are amazing. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving and stay safe and I will talk to you all next week. Bye! Thank you for listening to Perplexity, a mystery podcast. Hosted, written, and produced by kadra Brennan. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell the world about it by going to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaving a five-star review. It helps the show more than you know. Contact, support, and merch links can be found in the episode description. And if you have a story to share or a topic request, send an email to perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com. Cager would love to read your story on the podcast. Until next week, stay curious.